today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. It's important when we pray that we stand on this book. When we pray that we take the promises as well as the prohibitions, we take God's Word and we base our prayers on the book. Our nation has gone far from God and it needs healing. And we ought to be on our knees praying, Lord, Wake us up. Reaching up high with arms open wide, we see. You're changing our lives so we can be our hands and feet. There are many times in Scripture when the Lord's servants cried out to Him in desperation. Just like a mother is moved by the cries of her children, the Lord is moved when we cry out to Him. It is the zealous prayers, the prayers that come from the deepest places of our soul, which God answers. In today's message from James chapter 5, Pastor Ed encourages us to pray without ceasing. He also teaches us to pray not just surface-level prayers, but to pray reverently and wholeheartedly. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's edition of Building in Faith. have been surprised if you were in Shea Stadium close enough to Billy Graham to hear the prayer he offered. Planes right from LaGuardia Airport flying over the stadium. The roar was so loud you couldn't hear Mr. Graham speak. He said, we got to do something about this. (laughs) Well, this is what he did when he said that. He bowed his head, and he said in a simple prayer, Lord, we ask you to shift the wind and send these planes in another direction. Thank you. Amen. Well, the next day in the newspaper, it reported that the winds had changed during the night, and the airplanes over Shea Stadium had to be routed another way for several days thereafter. And thousands heard the gospel. Wasn't that powerful? Now, just for a moment, imagine with me that those meetings went on for three and a half years instead of just maybe a week. And imagine with me that Mr. Billy Graham prayed, Lord, for these next three and a half years, reroute those winds. And at the end of the campaign, when everything had been completed in Shea Stadium, he got up, stood behind the podium, and said, Lord, let the winds return. It would make the newspapers. Well, something Just like that, and even maybe more powerful happened in the pages of the Old Testament with the prophet Elijah. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain. And in an agricultural society, 
That was a serious prayer. That was a crisis in the land. But for three and a half years, God answered his prayer. And then Elijah said, at my word, it will rain. And he prayed, and he bowed down, and he looked for that cloud. And Where is it? Let's come a little closer. He prayed again, and God answered his prayer and sent rain after three and a half years. What a testimony to the power of prayer. And what James does is he lifts up this story from our Old Testament and he brings it into the pages of the New Testament and he tells us that our prayers can shape history, heal those sick in body and heal those sick in soul. But he gives us some qualifications. And there's two that I especially want to emphasize to you this morning. If God is going to hear our prayer for the healing of people, we must pray in righteousness. We must pray in righteousness. That's exactly what the biblical text says. In James 5.16, let's read it again. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous individual. You see righteousness throughout the story of the prophet. Elijah was a righteous man and he had a righteous cause. Now, James is careful to tell us how we ought to pray because we can pray and pray amiss, as the King James Version says, uh, pray with the wrong motives and not see those prayers answered. But Elijah had a righteous cause. And I believe that when the cause is righteous, his cause was righteous, we can have confidence in our prayer. In verse 17, let me read the text. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. What was the cause? Well, Elijah, I'm sure, liked rain. It wasn't that he didn't want it to rain. Uh, No, there was something far greater. The nation had strayed from God. The nation had turned away and gone their own way. The nation was worshiping Baal rather than Yahweh. And in its disobedience, the prophet was grieved. He was angered. His heart was stirred. And I believe he reached back to the pages of the Old Testament, to the Pentateuch, to the book of Deuteronomy, and he took a word from the covenant relationship that God had with Israel. And I believe he prayed that prayer. Let me take those verses and just put them before you. Listen to the words of Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 14 to 15. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, All these curses will come upon you and overtake you. The Lord will turn the rain in your country into dust. 
and powder. It will come down from the skies until you are destroyed. There the prophet Elijah was, and he read the word, and he said, God, they've strayed from your covenant. God, they've disobeyed you. God, they've rebelled against you. Hold the rain back. Fulfill your word. Let Israel know there is a God. And God answered that prayer. It's important when we pray that we stand on this book. When we pray that we take the promises as well as the prohibitions. We take God's word and we base our prayers on the book. Our nation has gone far from God and it needs healing. And we ought to be on our knees praying, Lord, wake us up. We ought to be on our knees praying, God, speak to the leadership. I pray that the church would have a prophetic voice, that it would not cower in standing up for what's right, that it would not turn back when criticized or ridiculed. I pray that God would help us to be salt and light in a dying, decaying, dark world. God calls us to stand on his promises. And that is true as well when we pray for those that are physically ill. To take the promises in the book, to rehearse the miracles of Jesus, to remember what God has done, and remember that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we said the other week, I'd pray and pray until I had a definite no. Let me ask you a question. If your unsaved loved one isn't saved, a child, a parent, a spouse, a friend, After five or six times, do you just stop praying? Oftentimes we hear the testimony of people that will pray for years and years and years and years, and then that individual is saved. Well, why don't we do it for other areas? Why don't we do it for those who need healing in their bodies? Why aren't we persistent about believing God? I think we ought to be. You'll notice in this text that this cause that he had was a right cause. When we know we're doing something pleasing to God, something helpful to the community, something that's going to make a difference, when when we're motivated by the right causes. Now, don't go into the grocery store, into the supermarket, and pray online, oh Lord, help me win this lottery. Uh, Don't go down to Atlantic City and say, I'm going to play those slot machines. Lord, help me get... No, that's not a righteous cause. You ought not be doing those things anyway. But when you pray for the lost and you pray for those that are hurting and pray for those that are in need, when you move beyond yourself to others and you get caught up in the passion and the burden of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's a righteous cause, a cause that touches the heart of God. Now, it's not only his cause was righteous. He was trying to turn the nation back to God, trying to remind them there's only one true God, the God of Israel. 
But his character was righteous. Not only his cause, but his character. Uh, Look again at the text, verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Notice the text. The prayer of a righteous man. And in the Greek language, it's not particularly... uh, The male gender it's referring to, they put that there, a righteous person, woman or man. Now, aren't you glad that the text didn't say the prayer of the clergy or the prayer of the official church leaders or the prayer of long-standing members of church. No, it just said the prayer of a righteous person. No matter how long you've been saved, no matter what position you may hold, no matter where you may be in the body of Christ, if you're a righteous person, uh, God's ear is given to you. God's attention is on you. His direction is towards you. And so here James says, here's the qualification, a righteous cause and a righteous man. Now, all of us know that we cannot stand on the basis of our own righteousness before God because to the core, we're all sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. So what is he referring to? Well, I believe there's two things. First of all, a positional righteousness. We have received the righteousness of Christ and we stand in his righteousness. So it's not a righteousness of our own. If we go before God and we're trusting our good works, we're trusting what we've done, we're trusting the money that we've given or the hours we've spent in prayer, uh, then we're missing it. No, it's not saying that at all. It's saying that if we stand as it were, recognizing I stand in the shadow of the cross and the blood of Christ is over me, and I stand as a king, as child, a son and daughter of the kingdom, I can stand with confidence because God has given me that position. I stand in the righteousness of Christ. It's not only positional. And you've got to know your place in Christ. You've got to know who you are in Christ. You've got to know that you're a child of God so that you could brush aside the accusations of the enemy. So that you can silence all of the accusations that smell of smoke as they ascend from the pit. You know... You also have to have something else, a practical righteousness. Not only a positional, but a practical righteousness. Uh, What does James mean by that? Well, let's just take the context of his book. It means that you have compassion on the poor. It means that you control your tongue. It means that you're keeping yourself unspotted from this world. You're you're living a a pure life. See, there is great confidence when you know that you know that you know that you're walking in obedience to God. You know that you're endeavoring to live a godly and holy life. And when you stand in that holy place, and when you stand in the presence of God, the Spirit of God witnesses with your spirit that everything is okay. And you can enter into that throne room with boldness knowing that he has made a way for you and there like Elijah you could pray with confidence hallelujah Uh, is there a shout in the house amen Psalm 34 15 says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears 
are attentive to their cry. Don't you love that verse? The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Uh, There you are going through the trouble. There you are going through the dark night of the soul. There you are in a difficult place, but God's eyes are on you. And as you lift your voice, heaven hears you. God hears you. And you know, and you know, and you know that God is listening in. You see, the great thing about it, if we are pure in our hearts, we have confidence. Psalm 66, 18 spells that out. It says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But when the Spirit of God has searched your heart, and you said to God, here I am, and you feel before God, I'm right with you. And and if God speaks to you, what does the text say? You confess your sins. So you go to that brother. You go to that sister. If there's a wrong there or something is lingering in your mind, you go to that elder. You go to that spiritual leader and you confess it. And it says, confess your sins to one another. Hey, we're all sinners and we need to recognize that. But once you've done that, the Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're right with God. And once you've confessed and once you've made yourself right with God, then you could begin confessing as it were the truth of His Word, the promise of His Word, the surety of what He has said in the book. Hallelujah. I think of A.W. Tozer who said, our prayers are only as powerful as our lives. In the long pull, we pray only as well as we live. Think about that. Sometimes we pray cream and we live skim milk. You know, you have these big elaborate prayers. God help the living and the praying to go together so that we begin to pray out of a life of commitment to God, His mind and His will. John Ortberg puts it in his book. Uh, The book is titled, God is Closer Than You Think. Uh, Kim tells about her dad, how he went to help a woman who had a flat tire, and he was helping, and suddenly a car came and swerved onto the shoulder and hit the car that he was working under. And here the car rolled over him, crushed numerous ribs, punctured a lung. He began to bleed internally. And this small, tiny woman who lifts, gets in front of the car, I think she was five feet, and she begins to pray, in the name of Jesus. And she literally lifts the car. They pull him out from underneath the car. The ambulance drivers, the uh, paramedics say for sure he's lost. He's going to die. They put him in the ambulance. His ashen white body suddenly turns pink. He says to everyone around him, 
Why don't you sing with me, fairest Lord Jesus? He's instantly, miraculously healed. Now here's the shouting part. Here's the shouting part. At that exact time, his pastor and his church are interceding for him at that exact moment when he's healed. The story doesn't end there. The story goes on. He was a professor at Princeton in the seminary. And, you know, he believed in God, but didn't seem to be that excited about God and maybe had God at a great distance. This Princeton seminary professor, James Lauder, is known now in Princeton as the weeping professor because God so changed his life in that miracle that he was never, ever the same. There's an awesome sense of presence of God about his life. I tell you that when we begin praying and we begin seeking the Lord and when we begin interceding, standing in the gap for people, something happens in their lives. They are changed. You try it. You begin praying for that relative. You begin praying for that family member. You begin praying for that brother or sister in Christ. And you begin saying, God, I want you to keep your word. God, here's what your word says. See, there are some things that won't happen unless we pray it through. God has given us an incredible privilege to participate with him in shaping history. Our theology, remember, is not Calvinistic. Everything is said. Our theology is Arminian that says that we have a part with God in shaping this world. See, when the church begins to make the place where they meet, a house of prayer, things happen. You hear things like Wendy Wright's been healed and God's restored her. You hear things like with Pastor Dan where his arm was broken as he shared last week and the doctor said, you'll never write with that. But God said, no, my people are praying and he restores You hear things like what the Cancels shared with us when their son Emilio looks so desperately ill and the doctors are wondering if he's going to live, thinking he's not going to live. But God drops a heart in a verse of Scripture in mom and dad's life and they stand on that verse of Scripture and they begin to pray. Things happen. Hallelujah. Can I have a witness? Anybody here know what we're talking about? There's power in prayer. God does things when his people pray. There's a second element in this. Not only do we pray in righteousness, a righteous cause and a righteous life, a righteous character. There's something else. Pray in earnestness. Verse 17 Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. He prayed earnestly. God gives us the privilege of communicating with him and influencing him. Programs like Building in Faith are wonderful, 
and we do know that God uses them in the lives of countless believers. We also know that just hearing God's Word is not enough. We must put into practice those things that we are learning. Pastor Ed is taking us through the book of James. We'll learn that we must be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Building in Faith. You've been listening to Building in Faith, the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now we want to encourage you to log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. Again, to follow Building in Faith and access the archive of messages, log on to buildinginfaithradio.com. When you visit the site, you'll only need to remember today's date. Simply click on today's date. You can listen, download, and even share this message with your friends and family via Facebook and Twitter. If you have any questions, call us. Our phone number is 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. In the next edition of Building in Faith, Pastor Ed will continue sharing messages from the book of James. So be sure to join us. Until then, may God richly bless you. Everybody wins when a leader gets better. Absolutely everyone. The stakes of leadership are sky high. Everyone has influence. Come to the Global Leadership Summit on August 10th and 11th and learn skills to help you lead transformation in your community. The summit features leaders like Bill Hybels, Sheryl Sandberg, Andy Stanley, and more. Experience the summit at Faith Assembly, Casper Kill Campus, Poughkeepsie, August 10th and 11th. Register at willowcreek.com summit and use the priority code radio, willowcreek.com summit.